The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today we come to the end of our series on family matters. We've said this many times throughout the series, but the reason we're preaching on this topic is because family indeed matters more than ever in this day and age. We're talking specifically about parenting. Parenting is a fulfilling but difficult job. It's so easy to neglect our responsibilities as parents or even to go about parenting in an unbiblical way. But as we have seen, when we establish biblical goals and employ biblical methods, we will have a much better chance to raise godly children who excel in accordance with biblical principles. Join us today for the second half of this last sermon in our series on family matters. But first, we have a song that we hope will be uplifting and edifying to you.
And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and upon thy gates. See, what he's saying here is, is that our homes ought to be a beacon of light in a dark, wicked world. You know, I don't always have opportunity to share the doctrines of Scripture with those that I run into, but I can always live according to those doctrines. I don't always have a time. You know, I'm not constantly browbeating my children with Scripture and, you know, uh, you know, you can, you can take that so far that you, uh, uh, you drive them away, you know, but I am trying to lay before them a path for them to walk. You know, I have three of them are married now. They're, it's not that I don't have any influence over them, but I sure don't have the influence that I used to have over them. And, and Mason is, is at the point of, uh, you know, getting close to getting out of school. And he doesn't live at home anymore. So I can't, it's not the same as it was when they were little, but when they were younger, I tried to do this. I didn't do it very well in many cases, but, uh, but we ought to continually try to do that. Fathers, it's important that we, that we are active in the raising of our children. But now listen, it's also important that as we do that, that we do it in the right spirit. Remember what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 103 and verse 13. Listen to this. In Psalm 103 and verse 13, David wrote this, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You know what this tells me? That if we would be God-like, if we would be Christ-like, our primary emotion toward our children should not be anger. It should not be harshness. It should be pity. It should be love. It should be compassion. You see, fathers are supposed to set that Christ-like example. Have I always gotten that right? No, I haven't. But have I tried? Yes, I have. And we should always be striving for this. Now, fathers are not to provoke their children to anger, and they're to be active in the child-rearing. But listen, mothers... This means you too, okay? This means you too. Now, God places the primary responsibility for children upon the father, but yet the mother's place is absolutely essential. You know what he said over to Exodus in the Ten Commandments? He said children are to honor their parents. They're to honor both parents. They're to, you know, you're, you're on equal footing here, okay? Remember Proverbs 1 and verse 8, we said, My son, hear the instruction of a mother, of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Okay? Turn with me over to Titus for just a minute. In Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, uh, it's interesting, by the way, how this, uh, this second chapter begins in Titus 2. This is Paul writing to the young preacher Titus. He said, speak thou the things that become sound doctrine. Okay, well, is he about to go into the doctrine of election, the doctrine of the resurrection? No. Here's what he's about to do. He's to say that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. That sounds like lifestyle, does it not? I'm telling you, beloved, doctrine has to do with lifestyle. Doctrine has to do with how we live, not just what we think. 
But he goes on to talk about what the aged women are to do. Verse 3, the aged women, uh, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women. Now, what are they going to teach the young women? To be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, listen. I realize that the father is given the primary responsibility for child rearing, but the mother has a great authority in the home. The father is no doubt the head of the household, but the mother has great responsibility and authority. Look at that phrase, keeper at home. That phrase, keeper at home, it literally means you're the guardian of the household, okay? Certainly it's easier when a mother's at home, a stay-at-home mom. But even when the mom does not work at home, she is to be focused upon the home. It, you know that old saying, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world? <laughs> well, listen, the mother, I, I, mother's influence is incalculable. And the mother's uh, focus should be upon the home, just like the father's focus should be. And that word keeper at home literally means the guardian ruler, the guardian ruler. That means that she is responsible for protecting those uh, children, for protecting the household from those kinds of uh, influences that could creep in. And listen, they, they creep in so easy, don't they? They creep in so easy nowadays. I'm telling you, this world that we live in, I know there's nothing new under the sun, but it seems like it's easier than ever to be able uh, for these, these ungodly influences to be able to creep in. That Proverbs 31 woman, she was an active woman in the rearing and protection of her household. So let's talk for a few minutes before, as we bring this to a close about the ways in which we can provoke our children. Let's talk about some ways because there are many ways that we can provoke our children to anger and to discouragement. One way is showing favoritism. Showing favoritism. You remember Jacob and how he showed favoritism to Joseph? You know what that ended up as? That ended up in complete disaster. I know God overruled that providentially in his, his uh, great way that he does that. But showing favoritism when a parent favors one child over another, discouragement is inevitable. It's inevitable. And it's not good for the one that's being favored either. Another way to provoke our children to discouragement and to anger is when we set unclear, unclear standards. Children need to know and understand the standards that they are being held to. Arbitrariness will breed discouragement and confusion and anger and ultimately, the child will be discouraged. Another way that we can provoke our children is by applying the rod without utilizing reproof. I've already talked about that a little bit, but, but just understand that unexplained discipline leads to confusion and discouragement. Reproof, remember, that's rebuke and correction and chastening, reasoning. That's telling them why. You know, my daddy was uh, well-willing and, and, and rightly so in almost every case in applying the rod. But he never spanked me without telling me why. He never, he never applied the rod without explaining why it was that I was being spanked. And you see, 
Children need that. Discipline requires instruction. Otherwise, it's just punishment. We're not out to punish our children. We should be disciplining them, which is the idea is to bring them back to the right path. Another thing that will provoke our children to anger and discouragement is inconsistency in applying the rules. I've heard it said that if something's wrong on Tuesday, it should also be wrong on Thursday. <laughs> inconsistency sends mixed messages. See, the problem you run into is sometimes, you know, when, when the iron bowl isn't on, I don't, I don't mind if they run around like wild Indians, you know. They can do what they want to. But when the iron bowl's on, they're going to get a spanking if they do that. See, that's wrong. That's the wrong way to approach it. That's your convenience and not discipline, see. If it's wrong on Monday, it ought to be wrong on Tuesday and so forth. And that kind of inconsistency will send a mixed message and it'll cause, cause them to lose trust. And ultimately, they'll be angered and discouraged. Now, this is something else that gets close to me, unreasonable discipline. Y'all know my background. I was a prosecutor for most of my career, and I prosecuted child abuse as harshly as I could in every case. You see, unreasonable discipline. That is, the idea here is that the degree of the application of the rod ought to correspond with the degree of the disobedience. You know, they're, they're parents, and, and listen, I'm a parent. I've experienced the temptation. It's easy to fly off the handle when something happens. It's easy to get mad and angry. You should never discipline while you're angry. I'll just go ahead and tell you that, uh, or at least while you're uncontrolled anger. I know there, there are many times when things they do, uh, when, you know they, when they know they shouldn't and you know they shouldn't, can make you angry. But if you're uncontrolled in your anger, then, then ultimately you will apply the rod in an unreasonable way. See, there are levels of disobedience, and there should be corresponding levels of discipline. You know, if they get a cookie out of the jar, uh, the rod might need to be applied, but not so harshly. You know, if, they, if, they, if at 12 years old they get in your car and drive it down to the store and back, <laughs> then maybe that's the time for a pretty harsh application of the rod. <laughs> And certainly some reproof. And that leads me sort of to the next one, excessive discipline. Excessive discipline. I know I've been guilty of this. But you know, you can't discipline as a parent for every single thing the child does that's wrong. Otherwise, you'd be doing it all the time. You never stop correcting them. You know, be careful. Discipline, again, it should be reasonable. And, and be careful of setting too many rules, you know. Make sure the rules you set are reasonable. And I've already mentioned this, but I'm going to mention it again. Angry discipline. Angry discipline is the wrong way to, to go about it. Parents who are out of control, parents who lose their temper, you can hurt your child and ultimately discourage them. That's how child abuse occurs. Let me tell you about, I won't go into details, but I had several cases of what they call shaken baby syndrome. You know, and that's where, that's where you have a, a parent who, or someone who, takes a young infant and, and in some effort in some way to get them quiet a lot of times they're crying they're they won't stop crying they get them up and they shake them you know it causes their brain to uh it, to knock about in their head and it gives them ultimately permanent damage we've had several cases like that and there's no excuse for that but what but here's how it happened it was somebody who was uh, who was uh, uh, who was lo who had lost their temper? Somebody who had uh, gotten angry and just picked up the child and shook it, and that's that's 
something that we should never do. That's the extreme example of that. But it happens in lesser degrees. It happens in lesser degrees. And angry discipline will ultimately hurt your children and discourage them. What about humiliation and discipline? We should be trying to build up our children, not tear them down. And think about humiliation. You're just a bad child. I've heard you never do anything right. You know, that's, those are things we should never do and say to our children. Humiliation is not discipline. It's really abuse. And that will discourage our children. Say, so, okay, preacher, I, you know, I get that, but uh, uh, all those things I can do. But let me ask you about this one. This is the one that gets me. I'm going to tell you a little story about this, too, and I'm going to embarrass Ashley. Ashley was the world's best at remembering things I'd preach on Sunday and reminding me of things I was doing on Thursday. She always said, oh, so, so what you said Sunday doesn't apply today, Daddy. Is that right? I always said she should have been a lawyer. But here's my point. Not practicing what we preach, and that literally goes for me. That literally goes for me as preacher. When we have double standards in our lives, say, son, do what I say, don't do what I do, then we have set examples that are wrong and will discourage our children. We need to set examples for our children with our own discipleship. I realize we're not going to get it perfect. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, we're going to mess up. We're going to do things wrong. We are going to preach something on Sunday that we're going to forget about and act out. You know, I preached that series, that sermon on anger not too long ago. That's the one I struggle with the most. And, you know, I, I wish I could say that since that sermon, I've not had any angry outbursts about anything. But let me just say it this way. I tried to fix a water line under, Sherry, under our sink in the bathroom yesterday. And, and a 30-minute job turned into two or three trips to reform and about a three or four or five-hour job. That's all I'm going to say about that, Brother Glenn. My point is, is that it's hard to live. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about a consistently not setting the right example for our children, telling them things that we do the opposite with. Which brings me to the next one. Something else that will discourage our children is never admitting that we are wrong. Never admitting that we're wrong. If you refuse to ever admit when you're wrong, it will destroy your credibility with the child. There have been times when in my experience in raising children where I knew I was right and I was determined to prove to my children that I was right and turns out I just was really wrong but you know I always did try to go back and apologize I had a good example of that my own dad my own daddy was good at that humility is always appropriate in parenting see they'll see through all they'll see through all the bible talk they'll see through all the virtuous talk because they already know where you fail. Your, your children know better than anybody else where you fail, parents. They know where you're messing up. And refusing to acknowledge it will make them discard much of the rest of your counsel. And it will discourage them. It's okay to admit you're wrong. Because guess what? You're a sinner. We're sinners. We're, we're, you know, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not a perfect daddy. Uh, my wife, who is near perfect, but she's still not a perfect mama. <laughs> We're not perfect parents, and you won't be either, young parents. You won't be either. It's appropriate to admit when we're wrong. Also, something else. I've known families and situations where the parents, the dad particularly, was unapproachable. And being unapproachable to our children will cause them to be 
discouraged more than anything else I know. Let me ask you this. How in the world could we be cold and aloof to our children when God himself, who has the right to be cold and aloof to us, says we're to come boldly into his throne room of grace? Parents, always make sure your children know that they have an open door what, you may not agree with them. You may not be on the same page with them at all about something they're doing or something they're engaged in, but make sure they, they know that you're approachable. And one other thing, and I'll leave you with this as we sort of conclude this, never having fun with your children. That doesn't mean that you can't have fun working with them. I'm not saying don't ever put them to work. We had a lot of fun working on the farm. We tried to, you know, I had a job that took me away. We tried to take trips together. But we should seek to have good times, whether it's a trip or home or work, and not just hard times all the time. Enjoy your children, and they should know that they can enjoy you. So let me, let me wrap this up this way, just to conclude our series on the family. We've learned that the father is certainly the head of the household and its servant leader, not a tyrant, but a leader who serves. We've also learned that the mother is the guardian ruler of the home. She's the one to protect it, especially if she's a stay-at-home mom. She's there most of the time, but even if she's not, she has such great authority in the home. Because you see, the husband and wife together are family. And they are a team. If they have children, they're a team when it comes to raising children. I want to read you a quote from a book I use in counseling uh, young couples before they marry. Uh, a guy named Wayne Mack wrote this book, and he said this, The goal toward which they are striving, he's talking about the husband and wife, is the proper raising of children. Together they must press toward that goal. The task is so great, the problems so many, the opposition so strong that mutual effort and cooperation will be required. The husband simply cannot do it alone. He needs to work as part of a team. He must have the full assistance of his wife, but he is the team leader, and as such, he is ultimately or finally responsible. See, scriptural, uh, the scriptural approach to family well, is, is that the father is ultimately responsible for what goes on in the home. And the Bible is the one that teaches us this. And the Bible must be the ultimate authority in the home, both with the relationship between husband and wife and rearing of the children. And let me just say this to you. What the Bible has said, what we've read in Colossians and in Ephesians and everywhere else in the Scripture is not just friendly advice. It is a clear commandment of God. So final thoughts on this, uh, I'll leave you with this. First of all, why do we do this? Well, we ought to do these things first and foremost because God says to do it this way. He is the ultimate authority. He created this world. He created Adam and Eve. He created the family, and he gets to say how it works. You know, we're not being ugly and mean to the folks out in the world today that are trying to redefine marriage. We're just saying that God is the only one that can define it. Not, not man, not society. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. God is the only one that can define what a marriage ultimately is. But also we're saying this, is that not only do we do this because God said it, but ultimately because it will be good for us. 
You know, God, when he sets a rule out there, he doesn't set it arbitrarily. He doesn't do what we just said we shouldn't do. He sets rules that are reasonable. He sets rules that are good for us. He, he was not being arbitrary in the garden when he said, you can eat of every tree, of every, uh, every, the fruit of every tree, all throughout the garden except this one. He knew when they ate of it, it would be bad for them. And God's way is always better than anything the world has to offer. As a matter of fact, God's way is the best way. And if we'll employ these, things, these principles, our marriages and our families won't be perfect, but they will be God-honoring. And by the way, God's way is not just one of many ways. It's the only way for a child of God to go. So let me just leave you with this. If you're a biological parent, if you're a step-parent, you're a grandparent, if you don't have any children, if you have a traditional home uh, where there's a husband and a wife and children, if you have a home that's been broken for whatever reason and there's only uh, one parent there, if you've got a home that is, has foster children, if you don't have any children, but you're a father or a mother in Israel in the kingdom of God, then these truths are important for you to know and to employ in your life because it'll help us be better disciples of God. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.